Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is Rachel Tashjian. Whether it's roaming a Vanity Fair Oscar party or sharing a hot take from Paris Couture Week, Rachel is one of the funniest and most entertaining personalities in fashion. We discuss her time working at Vanity Fair and what she's been up to at Garage Magazine. We also talk why so many fashion designers have left New York and her never-ending obsession with the late Princess Diana. Uh, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Okay, good. So I'm going to explain to the listeners, we're at Rachel's incredible apartment. Um, it's if, if you ever go to someone's apartment and you walk in the door and it smells like it's cooler than you because there's Palo Santo everywhere. And I found out that the paint that she uses in the breakfast nook room that we're sitting in is British paint. Is that what you said? Yeah, it is. Can you? It's Pharaoh and ball paint. <laughs> because the light in Britain is different. Yeah, the light in England is different. You know, they've got like great country light there. Okay. So, um, Pharaoh and Ball makes paint that is very sensitive to the light. Wow. Yeah. And you have to use like special primer. Oh. Usually, like when you go to the store on the Upper East Side, they like recommend particular painters. Of course, it's in the Upper East Side. Yeah. Wait, did you, you didn't paint this yourself? Hell no. You just had like Joe Painter in? Yeah, I oh, did. I had shit. Joe Painter. Okay. Well, I painted my room myself. We're very proud of you. <laughs> You can tell because if you go to it and you look at my ceiling, there's a couple of these just other colors that are up there. Right. Because you're just like, what's that? And it's like, oh, yeah, he was trying to paint and he messed up. Anyway, I digress. Thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, There's a billion reasons why I wanted you on the pod. Not because that I think you're one of the coolest women in New York City. Dead serious. Thanks. Um, In terms of personal style, your writing, your writing, which is like half comedy, half super serious. I've read stuff uh, that you had done, whether it was Pizza Rules, which is like, that's your first, your, mm-hmm. that was your first handle, uh, like four pin stuff, Vanity Fair stuff. I mean, you're a badass. I am honored and privileged to be talking to you right now. This is a lot of fun. Um, how the hell did you get to New York? Um, well, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Is um, that Penn? Yeah. Okay. And... Um, when I was graduating, I like really didn't want to move to New York. Like I'd always had this like really like romantic notion of like, oh, when I graduate from college, I'll move to New York. But that was like in boarding school. So once you were I- in boarding school? Oh yeah. Is your last name Caulfield? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually had one of those hats in boarding school. Did you a red hunting yeah, hat? I did. Okay. Um so yeah, so when I was in college, I like didn't really want to move to New York. Um I Uh, So at the end of like when I was getting ready to graduate, my parents had this boat and I was like, well, what if I just move on to the boat and live on the boat? And I thought like, well, that is like, I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I just like thought this was a really cool idea. Okay. And that was like as far as I'd gotten. And then my parents were sort of like, well, you can't really just like live on the boat, (laughs) which was like in the Chesapeake Bay, like in Maryland. So there was like nothing really around. I was like, I'll work at like the boat gas station and I'll learn like French from a tape. Um, and, uh, so then my parents were like, well, you can't, you can't really live on this boat. And they told me that I had to, they were like, well, everyone from Penn moves to New York. So that's what yeah, I, that's get your what shit I did. together. Yeah. Get on over there. So I actually moved to an apartment that's like not far from this one. I lived in Ch- like in Chinatown when I first moved here. Okay. 
um, like right above. When did above you move here? What year? 2011. Okay. So I was living right above Dimes Square, but Dimes wasn't open yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I like, you know, I just, I just knew already. I just was so prescient. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's how I got here. And then I didn't have a job for a really long time. Well, when I, when I first like interacted with you, it was because you had this super quirky handle, Pizza Rules. Mm-hmm. What, what is Pizza Rules? Like, because there's basically every, all the writing that I've read from you is, has a really strong, like, I don't take myself too seriously vibe. Like, where did that come from? Was, I mean, have you always kind of felt and been like that? Yeah, I've always felt and been like that. <laughs> I mean, I think Pizza Rules came from... Because it's always, Rules with a Z. Yeah, Rules with a Z. I was always really into clothes, like more than I was into like fashion. Like I was right. really into like style. I didn't, re- I didn't read a lot of magazines growing up, like fashion magazines, I mean. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I read like Dazed and maybe ID, but I didn't really read like Vogue okay. until I got to college, I guess. Um, so anyways, I thought fashion blogging was like really cool. Yeah. And it was like for a while. Who were you into? Was it like um, Tavi? Yeah, it was like Tavi and Geometric Sleep, who's like Laya Garcia, who's like actually now a good friend of mine. Um, and uh, Sea of Shoes, I really liked. I mean, she has like really cool vintage clothing. And I really liked Man Repeller when that first started. Right. In fact, she had a blog before Man Repeller that was like, it was like boogers and bagels or something. And it was like, oh, as one does. Yeah, and it was like <laughs> sort of about fashion, but it was much more like her study abroad blog, like from Paris when she was like still at the new school. And so that is like somehow I found her there. I like I found that I found that site like the second day that she started it, and I like was already like riding for it. Um. So when I moved to New York, I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't really have anything to do, and it seems like a lot of people of like I literally thought I was like fashion blogging a cool get rich quick scheme like that's how I thought about it. <laughs> and, um. So I. I started this fashion blog, Pizza Rules, but I was like, well, you know, like at this point, this was 2011. So there were already like, you know, like Tavi and like Geometric Sleep and those sorts of things. Those had started like more in like 2007, like 2008. Okay. So at this point, you were already getting things like, you know, like rainbows and like, you know, espadrilles, like, you know, those sorts of like b- basic. You're talking about the way Fashion blogger. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is, this had already started. Um. And like a lot of people were wearing like very similar things. Um, of people were getting gifted like the same things from like Rebecca Minkoff and like Kate Spade and that sort of thing. So it was like you could tell when like some like PR person had sent the bag to like twelve <laughs> people because you would see it and there'd be that like you know remember like the pose with like the the bag in the crook of your arm and she's like looking at the ground and like wearing <laughs> sunglasses. So at that point, that was already happening. So I thought, like, this is prime for disruption. Um, Okay, so you came in to disrupt the whole, like, woman fashion blogger market. I don't know that I thought I was going to disrupt the whole thing, but I was like, I want to do this, but I'm not comfortable doing it in the, like, cupcakes and cashmere way. Okay. Um, (laughs) Which was, unfortunately, kind of the stereotype. Exactly. Yeah, like, women's style is super cute and, like, weddings and, like, chic. Right. Chic. Everything is, yeah. Okay. So, um, so I decided like, oh, the, like, you know, if you're sort of a play on the fact that like people use like food references in the title. So I was like, okay, well like pizza rules, like that sounds kind of like punk. 
Okay. So that's why I decided to call it Pizza Rules. And then I like the photos were like intentionally like kind of bad because it's like who really cares like what the photo looks like. I mean, I understand like it, the, the photo is the most important thing. And that is why I thought it was unimportant. <laughs> um, and then I would just wear things that often I was like, this doesn't look good, but it looks cool. Um, and then I would write in just this kind of like absurd way. I mean, I think the first post on the thing was like, was like, what did I do today? Well, like, I don't I mean, this it, it didn't sound this annoying at the time, I don't think. But it was like, what did I do today? Like, I don't know. I like had a job. I like don't have a job. So like I woke up and I bought like a six dollar latte and then <laughs> I like put on six di- different outfits and my roommate slash boyfriend took a photo of me. Um, and then I like went online and tried to figure out like how to get free stuff. <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds like every woman's blog at the time which i guess that was purposely written right? yeah because yeah. like and i feel bad <clears throat> saying this because i'm not trying to mock any of i would say almost every blog at the time was like that mm-hmm. uh if you were if a men's fashion blog it was like you know everything's dope i put on my double monks i'm flexing i got my my you know anglo italian american vibe i'm Oh, I don't forget your bean boots. What up? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there was kind of this faux lifestyle that existed within every blog at the time. And I don't know. I mean, it was it's funny because reality hit a lot of people all around the same time. And maybe it was because it was an age like maybe this was like everyone's post college or something. But reality hit and everyone realized they had to find a way to make money <laughs> because it was like, damn, I can't just do this off Blogspot. Um, and when I first interacted with you, I think it was because you had written something on four pins. Yeah. Right. Do you remember what you wrote on four pins? Well, I don't remember like the first few things that I wrote specific or the first thing that I wrote. I just remember like Lawrence, like DM'd me, Lawrence Flossman, like DM'd me and he was like, Hey, like, are do you ever like write anything for real? Like it was something like that, which is so funny. Like for real, you know, four pins is really for real. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he was like, Oh, we, we want like a woman to write for the site. And I've been looking for the right person to do it. So he asked me if I would do it. I mean, in a nutshell, your take on life and how you weren't taking things too seriously, but we're also incredibly intelligent had amazing amazing style kind of fits in the whole four pins vibe i I get it i mean it's like it's you know it's funny to think about i mean that's very flattering thank you it's also just funny to think about like that this that website existed and it's like more relevant now than it would have been then i mean like the the fact that like four pins closed before supreme was worth a billion dollars is like heartbreaking to me (laughs) it's true four pins i don't know i remember like lawrence was like oh he's like anytime you want to write something on four pins let me know and i would pitch him these crazy things which i thought were going to be good but because i'm lazy and a bit of a loser i never did it like i told him i wanted to do serious movie reviews of my favorite movies so i wanted to seriously review beethoven yeah and be like charles groden's a tour de force right and i wanted to seriously (laughs) i was like this would be a great thing and he was like cool man i fuck with it let's do it let's get it going and uh i think i don't i don't think i ever wrote it i think i have a a sticky note on my computer and it just says charles groden's a tour de force that's about as far as i got (laughs) but yeah i think four pins definitely has more value now and it's weird because a lot of people just know it as a meme twitter Mm -hmm. right and that was the other thing like 
You still do you still use Twitter? I would say you're you're pretty active. Oh yeah, I really tweet. use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so you're writing your pizza rules. You're writing for four pins. You're still being you. You're still wearing very. This is a a, a compliment. Like gregarious outfits mm-hmm. of all these different colors. When does Vanity Fair come in? Because that's that's like ten to ninety. Right. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I had, uh, the whole time that I was doing all that, I had this really corporate job. Oh, so you did have a job. Yeah, I did. Eventually, I got a job. Well, where was <laughs> the job? I was so impressed. It was, at, um, it was at a banking consulting company. Flex. Yeah. Well, wait, what, let's sidebar real quick. What did you go to school for? English and art history. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so banking. All right. Yeah. So I was, um, I was actually doing PR for this banking consulting company that was in Midtown. It was on like 54th and 3rd Avenue. You know, I would eat like corporate desk salads and stuff. Um, and I would <laughs> the line wear, of chopped is really yeah, long yeah. And I would wear like the thing was that like like I am so into like a, a like a look and like a subculture that like I, I remember when I got this job, which like for the age that I was, which at the time I guess was like twenty two or twenty three. Like I was getting paid a lot of money and I was like, I'm going to go to J. Crew. I'm going to spend like two thousand dollars. Like I want the full like <laughs> I mean, like, you know like upper middle class like liberal art school girl in a corporate world yeah exactly yeah flats riva flats yep (laughs) j crew shirt dress yep carvin blazer Mm, you know like one one hot ticket item from barney's um so i had that job and then someone from Condé nast like sent me a DM on LinkedIn. Really? My whole life is DMs. My whole trajectory is there DMs. Is a, there's a pattern I'm sensing here. So yeah. um, someone from Condé Nast like, reached out to me on LinkedIn and they were like, we're hiring a PR manager for Vanity Fair. Like, Would you be interested in that? And I assumed that it was like a prank because it was like a, a LinkedIn DM gram or DM about like my dream job basically at the time. So um, that's how I got a job at Vanity Fair. And the, like, the thing was that, like, they had, I feel like I had this, like, secret life, you know, like, they didn't, like, on the one hand, they didn't, like, know what pizza rules was, they didn't know that I was, like, tweeting, like, these insane things, but I also think they, like, would not have cared, and that was, like, what I really liked about it, and it's not like, oh, whatever, like, just do your thing, it's like, that's, like, you're really unimportant, so, like, we really don't care, <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> that's, that's a one perspective, okay, yeah. And then while I was working there, like they started, I mean, around the same time that I started working there, like they really expanded their website. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, Conde went like finally took themselves out of movable type. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I started writing a lot for the website and actually weirdly, like a year after I started, Matt Lynch started working there and he's like Noah Johnson's like best friend and college roommate. Oh, okay. So I like knew him, but like I I met him like one time or something. Um, and then I felt like I had an ally in the building, you know? Right. Yeah. Like someone who, who would read four pins, for example, more than once. <laughs> yeah. Who were like, oh, wait, real quick. Was there ever a time where you were writing for four pins, but also at Vanity Fair? Yes. Oh, snap. I didn't even know that. Yeah. You could do that? Yeah. Because they were just like, oh, well, we don't, you know, like we don't care what four pins is. Like we've never <laughs> heard of it. So it must not be important. It's like Graydon Carter is your boss. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. There's mm-hmm. nothing more important than that. Exactly. Right. Well, what's, what's life at Vanity Fair like? I know you're not there anymore, and we'll definitely get to Garage, but I'm just mm-hmm. curious about the VF chapter. Um, 
Vanity Fair is a lot like you would think it is. Like it's pretty the the office itself is sort of weird in the sense that like not a lot <laughs> not to like put anyone on blast but like not a lot of people come into the office. Okay. Um a lot of remote, a lot of work from home. Yeah, a lot of work from the country house. And um so it's a it's I don't know. I mean, I guess like it's it's not like as glamorous as you might think it. Like it is just like kind of an office, mm-hmm. but everyone who works there is like ridiculous. Like they have like insane personalities. And the this the 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 great thing about it is that like it's a mixture of different types of people, you know? So there's like this incredible fashion department, but there there's also this like very kind of like collegial um, you know, erudite literary editor. And like those two people like interact quite frequently like just in the hallways and that sort of thing um which you don't have at a lot of other magazines right and in most cases you have real quick listeners uh most cases you have your creative department not like you can see my hands i don't know why i'm doing this but you have your creative department on one side and your editorial and publishing uh on another and like because i mean like wired magazine is a good example right like wired all their writers are in sf Mm -hmm. for the most part and then the like business side and publishing is is all in New York, right. and you guys had everything. What you're like, what twenty feet away from each other? Mm-hmm. So much. what's I mean? Did you see like Graydon Carter just like walking around, like munching yeah. on a sandwich? Yeah. Did you talk to him? Did yeah. he? Does he know you exist? What, what, yeah. <laughs> what What was that like? Um, what was it like? I don't know. I mean, I just I remember like the first two years I was there, I like. You know, as I said, I I love a subculture. I love a full look. So I read like all of the Jeeves and Wooster books um, because I knew that he thought that those were really funny. I watched like a lot of British television. I got really into like small toys. Like and I didn't I didn't like get into these things like. To be like, you know, I, I guess I got into them just to be like, what does this guy think about, you know? Yeah. Um, and. I remember the first two years that I was there, I'd be like, anytime I was with him, I'd, I'd be like, now, is now the time to make a joke about like a British TV show? <laughs> Were you like, um, hey, faulty towers, right? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, but it, uh, like there are certain times, you know, like with, with any like person who's in charge of something really important mm-hmm. um, or a really important person who's in charge of something. Um, like you you'd speak to them when you know that it's like appropriate to approach okay you know you yeah you gotta you gotta have a a sixth sense like you can't you can't have asperger's basically right yeah i I think one of the things about vanity fair that i always think about is it was basically the most elite magazine ever like every writer actor who wasn't a writer right Mm -hmm. would write for vanity fair Mm -hmm. it's like oh Warren Beatty wrote something for Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Like, what? This dude hasn't, he's been retired from acting for like 20 years, but all of a sudden, do you, like, because you were in PR, were you involved with that at all? In terms of like, where people say actors and, and like Reddit, rare editorials and guest, you know, editors would come in? Did you ever arrange those things or? Well, I always like suggested things like that, you know, um, and like I would help put together like the Oscar party list and that sort of thing. Which is a process of like, it's not just like who's nominated for things. It's like who's really important in culture this year. And that could be like, you know, like I, I had this like Twitter joke, like the last couple of years that I was there where I like something would happen with the election and it would be like, um, 
like like get Ken Bone on the Oscar list. Like <laughs> you remember Ken Bone? Yeah. Yeah. So it would you know it would be like finding people like that but like not a Ken Bone version of that. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean a little bit of that. And and the the other cool thing about being in the publicity department at Vanity Fair is like anytime there was something that came in as like a possible story that was a sensitive topic, it almost always came through our department before we decided whether or not to publish it. Really? Yeah. What could you give me an example of one? I don't think that I can, but if you <laughs> were to think of a sensitive like like for example, okay, I'll give you an example because I wasn't here when this happened, so I'm, you know, won't get sued for talking about it. Um, but okay. like when um Vanity Fair revealed Deep Throat. Right. So there is this famous picture of like the 13 people at Vanity Fair who knew before anyone else so it was like i think they had to sign like an nda or something but my boss and my other like co-worker worked on this story this was like before i got there right so there's this photo and like the two of them are in this photo with like the other staff members that's pretty sick yeah isn't that cool yeah that's awesome um oscar parties mm -hmm. so how many oscar parties did you go to i went to four oscar parties wow so can you walk me through what setting up these Oscar parties are like because from what I know the Vanity Fair Oscar party is the most important party to be at during yeah. the Oscar or after the Oscars yeah for sure what how many people are involved in these things because you I would remember I was you know I was following you on the gram or something and I'm like whoa like what is she's there <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's it's kind of it's a pretty big production I mean I think a lot of the things like most of what I was dealing with is like it was really fun for me because it it was like helping my boss figure out like what reporters we should have to mm -hmm. like come and cover the party. But then also while I was at the party, I would just like, you know, reporters are not allowed to talk to the people at the party. They're allowed to observe. Really? Yeah. Um, and they're not allowed to like take notes or record, record anything. That makes sense. Um, people, you know, people got to let loose. Right. Right. Um, so some of it too was just like walking around and like trying to like, see like who's talking to whom and like who is um you know like if i overhear someone say something that's just like funny but not going to get them in trouble or anything um then i might like tell that to a reporter who you know is like oh do you have anything last year <laughs> which is actually this was like a great send-off last year i was um partnered with cindy adams from the new york post okay and I like went around the party with her because she's so cool. She is fantastic. She like will just she has such a great like New York. She's like the human embodiment of the New York Post, you know. So like I'm like, look, there's like Ezra Koenig dancing with Rashida Jones, new hot couple. And she's like, who's that? I don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> so and then I'd walk around with her and I'd be like, you know, there's Renelle, Renee Zellweger. Like there's the person who just won best actress that you know making out with the person who just won best director and she's like i don't care who are those people <laughs> so um anyway so and then as it turned out like she um she because she and i got on so well i guess i don't know she like mentioned me in the column really <laughs> yeah so like in her oscar party report it's like while I was at the Oscar party with Vanity Fair's beautiful blonde Rachel Tastian, and we saw the following people, like as if like I were somehow part 
participating oh, in this story. But you were just the periscope. I was just the periscope. But yeah, that was like probably like a dream come true for me. Wow. You, know, you can't pay for that kind of publicity. <laughs> That's true. So you were, wow, you were in the New York Post. Yeah. So I want to talk about Garage Magazine. Cool. So this is where you're at now. Mm-hmm. And h- how did, because so you go from being PR at Vanity Fair, mm-hmm. which is huge, massive flex on the resume. Where does Vice and Garage come in? How, how did that happen? Yeah. So I'd been like writing more and more when I was at Vanity Fair and I really liked doing that. And I'd also just felt like, you know, there are a lot of fashion websites that I really like, but I had this kind of like particular um, sense of like, oh, there are all of these like fashion stories, some of which like I don't want to write and that are maybe more like not necessarily fashion, but also like style sorts of things, um, which to me is like a very important um, distinction. But um, so anyways, this is something that I've been like thinking about a lot and like, oh, if I were to ever like be running the fashion vertical of like a website, this is what it would look like. And then I coincidentally ran into a friend of mine, um, Thessaly LaForce. Um, I ran into her on the street and she was like, oh, I just accepted this job to like run Garage Magazine, which I knew Vice had recently bought. Mm-hmm. And I just said to her like, oh, well, if you ever want like a fashion features or like news editor, like maybe I could do that for you. And so that's like how it all began. So you see, you just pitched yourself on the street? Yeah. Man, that's a, such a only in New York story. Yeah. You're I just know. like, oh, I bumped into someone getting our $6 latte of the day. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you like one, like on the one hand, either like believe in God or maybe it just makes you think that like nothing is important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a firm believer on basically trying to be a nice guy to everyone. Yeah. And because the industry is super small, specifically fashion, that in every job I've ever had, I can... Yeah, every job I've ever had is because I knew someone. Like, it's it's always, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you should have Jeremy Kirkland. He's, like, kind of a nice guy. And, like, just <laughs> that's all I need. And I think that's that's really true. I mean, if you look at a lot of our other friends and people that we've met in the industry, I, I don't think they got anywhere because their resume was just, like, so tip-top. Right. We know, like, a lot of failures, you know, who are just really nice. Really <laughs> nice failures. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the people listening know exactly who we're talking about. <laughs> like, they've never felt more seen. <laughs> um, so what do you do at Garage? And, and what, what is Garage Magazine? Because for me, I'm, I'm going to be totally transparent. The only magazine fashion-ish that I knew of Vice was ID. Yeah. So what's, what's Garage? So Garage is super cool. It, um, <laughs> you should read it. Um. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> So um, Garage was started by Dasha Zukova, who is, she's, she's from Russia, but she grew up, um, I think in Southern California. Anyway, she started also the Garage Contemporary Art Museum in Moscow, which I believe was like the first contemporary art museum in Russia. Okay. And she has a fantastic collection of art and she's just like super cool and smart. So she started this magazine, I think in 2014. Um, and it's a, it's like an art magazine that knows a lot about fashion and a fashion magazine that knows a lot about art. So it's kind of like a mixture of both things. It's about, I think it's, you know, more about the convergence of those two things than it is about one or the other. Um, so anyways, Vice bought the magazine like a year ago and, um, we launched a website actually like a few days ago. Although I don't know when you're going to publish this. So like, or like put it online. So. 
three months ago we launched a website. <laughs> um, it'll it won't be it'll be longer than or it'll be less than three months from now. Don't worry. Okay, great. I mean, I don't know what you have to do. <laughs> no, it's like, fine. I gotta I gotta do the, the chopping and the editing, mm-hmm. which I will also leave in right now. Yeah, you should also release an <laughs> an edition of this podcast, like a version that's like the chopped and screwed, like Rachel and Jeremy remix. Oh, right, right. Good idea. Yeah. All right, on it. Yeah, great. I can't wait for that. Anyways, um, <laughs> so yeah, so we we launched our website, um, and I've kind of in a certain way it feels like we're just getting started because Thessaly, who hired me, left to go to the New York Times like oh, a month and a half ago. Yeah. And now we have a new editor, Mark Guiducci, who came over from Vogue. Okay. Yeah. Flex. Yeah. So you were just in Paris. I was. And this is the stuff that, because while I think you're a, a great storyteller, you know, great style, I think your take and perspective on everything is what I want to know the most. Okay. So you were at Women's Fashion Week. Yeah. Can you believe it? And... <laughs> And I'm just curious because right now it feels that Men's Fashion Week and Women's Fashion Week are kind of the same because it's just this circus. This just there's just clowns everywhere. Um, what what were your? How did you feel about Paris Fashion Week? So do you mean clowns in terms of like the people who are attending, or like clowns in terms of the people who are designing? I would. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna say both sides. I think there's a lot of like fashion designers right now whom people think are the second coming of the Messiah or whatever, or first coming, whatever. And it's trash. It's like total trash. Like I'm, you know, I'm not going to find it. Actually, no one's sponsoring me. Um, Well, people (laughs) do sponsor me, but so it's fine. Like Supreme is not cool anymore. It's just not cool. It's fine. it's not. I'm I'm literally selling all of my Supreme right now while we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, Buy low, sell high. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a few other designers that are out there that I just think, I don't know, like, I don't really like the cool, the new Raph stuff. I think, I think Raph Simmons is a genius. All right. Everything that he does more or less is awesome, but I'm not buying it and I have no intention or desire to wear it. And it's just, it's not for me. And I, and I think the stuff that goes down that, you know, when everyone's like, oh, the Blade Runner collection. Eh. It just wasn't my thing. And look, I'm not trying to get you to rip on anyone. That's not the point. I have no problem doing it on my own. But I think right now the state of fashion is in flux because buy now, see now, buy now happened and no one really knew what to do with it. And it kind of failed. And Tom Ford was like, no, thanks. Half the people are going to L.A. And then everyone else in Paris is like, we're going to stay here and watch the world burn. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think... um... Well, I had a couple of takeaways, I guess, because this is like the first time I've always like gone to like a couple of things at New York Fashion Week. And then I'd gone to Couture Week, like over the summer, which for is Garage. totally separate. Yeah, Can you explain totally Couture and Fashion Week for, for listeners? Yeah. So Couture Week is um, it happens also twice a year um, in January and June. And it's um, like made to measure clothing. Okay. It's all like custom. It's one-off. all custom yeah. clothing. Yeah. And the the great thing about it, though, is that it's much smaller. I mean, there are just fewer shows, but also like there's, there are less like strange people that you wonder like why they're there. Um, so most of the people who are there are editors, writers, and actual clients. And the the bulk of the people attending are actual clients, which is amazing because you see like these women, these like old French women in like track suits with their iPads, like taking 
photos with their <laughs> iPads of the runway. And you're like, you're taking that photo because you're going to literally buy that. Like, that's crazy. And that thing's like a hundred grand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's very intimate, too. I mean, I keep thinking, like, I have this, like, this is a very, like, Marie Antoinette-ish thing to say. But, like, when I was at the Scoparelli show, I had this kind of strange seat where, like, the model would, like, sort of, like, come up from behind me. And they use this, like, really amazing, like, lipstick pink. Well, it's called Scoparelli pink, like, taffeta. And I just keep, like, I can remember so viscerally, like, the sound of, like, the taffeta in, the, like, as the model, like, moved past me because I was, like, that close to the clothing. Whoa. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's couture week. <laughs> um, I guess the thing that was interesting to me about watching like fashion week is that at least in women's wear, there's this sense that like a lot of designers are leaving New York to go to Paris because like that's more the creatively like serious city. Right. Um, and I do think like, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, like the Tom Brown show, which was his first show in Paris, I thought was like just one of the most like electrifying and like fun things that. I saw while I was there um, and also just like one of the best like fashion shows that I've seen. Although I've seen compared to like most people who do this, I've seen like a pretty limited handful, but I would still say like when I'm 50, I will remember that fashion show. Um, but, um, and then I guess like a lot of people are saying like, Oh, well, New York is like not a great fashion city anymore. Like there's nothing really happening here. Can if do you feel that way and if if so do you know why people are saying that i i don't i think new york is cool as hell yeah but i live here yeah so i, I don't know why people would say it's not a fashion city i think they just think you know oh all of our great designers like Rodarte and tom brown um and proenza schooler which are typically like pretty you know they're thought of as like the most like sort of advanced like creatively uh new york designers are all like moving to paris oh okay so yeah. it's just that like the creative makers are mm -hmm. leaving yeah but i just i guess on the one hand like i guess that's true like i'm not going to tell you like no they aren't moving to paris but i think those are also designers that have always designed in a very like european kind of tradition you know mm. um so i think like proenza and tom brown do have this very like um very like european sort of sensibility that like easily lends itself to showing there but i also think that there are like designers like Vicara and Ekas Lada um, and even like Shane Oliver who are like doing things that are particularly New York and are like cre like super creative and like not commercial in the way that people often like dismiss New York as being commercial. Mm. Um, so I sort of like I left at the end of the at the end of the month I sort of felt like oh that was sort of like a silly argument that everyone was having because to me it seems like this older class of designers has like migrated to Paris, which like made sense. And now there are like these new, like super young, very weird people doing things that I think are like really exciting. So they more or less like the, they kind of graduated. Yeah. And so New York can still be edgy and fun and cool. Yeah. What about LA? Cause here's the one Where thing. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> LA. Look, I've talked to a few people on the pod about LA. I think LA is really cool if you just are there for the weather. But like, I don't want to live there. I don't want to drive. I, I, there's a lot of people that listen to the pod that are in LA. They yeah. probably are listening to it while they're driving. I bet they're not even moving. Like, they're just... <laughs> we know exactly what you're doing right now. <laughs> yes. But yeah, a bunch of designers are going... I mean, so Hedy Slimane went to LA. He was maybe like the first, I know he's not designing more, but he was the first like, 
you know, big deal guy that goes to LA. But before that, it was you had like the band of outsiders, you had Scott Sternberg doing there. Um even Tom Brown did a show there. Yeah. Um he'll figure those shows in LA. Um I mean, which like, look, I know Hilfiger isn't moving the needle for everyone these days, but I mean, he's still a big powerhouse and he's going to L.A. But the biggest thing that happened is is Tom Ford is went to L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, I just I just don't know why what's there or why people are going there. I like juice. I don't know. I don't <laughs> I don't really know what's there. I mean, there's like it seems like have a you big, been to L.A.? Yeah, I have. Well, I, I would go out there like for the Oscar party. Oh, duh. I mean, okay. it sort of has yeah. like to me, and to me, the part that I like about L.A. is not the the sort of leading aesthetic of L.A. at the moment. The part that I like is the like sort of like gothic terror of like Beverly Hills and like Homeby Hills and and like those sorts of old like Bel Air. Um, but th- the L.A. of today is very you know wellness driven and like finding your center and you know being fit yeah being fit soul cycling mm-hmm. funny fun fact though soul cycle started in new york it did yeah. yeah on the upper west side yeah where where people found their soul they did yeah yeah That's have you where, been have, have you been I, soul cycle have, yeah i used to go a lot what happened it's just it's really expensive and my favorite instructor um like stopped teaching at the noho soul cycle so what do you do now I just run. Oh, flex. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Okay, I want to talk to you about the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Everything else is great. I'm, I'm so happy and astonished how you've navigated your career so successfully, <laughs> which I'm very jealous of as I continue to just kind of sit in my zone. Um, you are obsessed with Princess Diana. Yeah. But, like, it's, but it's done in a really intelligent, <laughs> arty way. So, because I like, I flipped through your gram a bit before coming here. That's Instagram. Yeah. Flex. And all you, everything is on this pink, this pink frame. And you have all these photos of Princess Diana that I've never seen before. And why, like, explain to me the Princess Diana obsession. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I'd always, like, when I was growing up, my my mother always liked Vanity Fair, and she always really liked Princess Diana. So those were just, that was something that I had kind of grown up, I'd grown up looking at her. And my mother and her friends, you know, very sort of waspy, all had that haircut, dressed in a way that was, like, very similar to the way that she dressed. So I think part of it is that I, I like, grew up liking that. And it's a kind of, like, it's so... um her sense of style is like very considered. So you can tell that she's thinking about it. And when someone is dressed in that way, like you also then think about it because it doesn't look like it quite fits in, you know, like even when she's, when you look at things that she wore, like in the eighties, like you can't really tell that the photograph was taken in the eighties a lot of the time because she wasn't wearing like big shoulder pads or like dynasty kind of, um, I mean, she did wear like blingy sequiny stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't like over the top in a way that felt like tethered to like the particular moment. Like it was a much more kind of instinctive way of dressing. Um, so I guess like I grew up looking at it and for that reason I liked it, but then I don't know, I guess just like a couple of years ago, I just started, I mean, I'm always like looking at photos as like anyone who ever had a Tumblr like does, like it just becomes a habit. And I just started getting like I found like all these photos of her wearing like barber jackets. And that's just like what set it off. I was like, oh, this is like. You found them on Tumblr? No, I just I found them by like, I guess a lot of people pin them. 
Oh, so you found them on Pinterest. Yeah, I found them on Pinterest. Um, and I liked that, like, sort of, you know, a lot of people wear barber jackets now. So I liked that it was, like, this person, like, 30 years ago wearing something. And, you know, obviously, like, barbers are, like, as old as time. But, like, right. um, the idea that something that's, like, really trendy now, this person was wearing a long time ago. And then I started to find other things like that, like, you know, she was visiting, she was on some kind of like military visit and she was wearing like a green jumpsuit that she'd worn it with like pink chucks, you know? So it was like, I, I enjoyed like sort of finding those like little um, threads. And then like the more that I looked at her sense of style and like started getting really into her biography, especially as I was working at Vanity Fair, which is like obsessed with her kind of this like collision of celebrity and politics and like just like the most um and also royalty and just like the most like unimaginable glamour in this kind of very natural way you know like it never really looked like she was very well groomed but it didn't look like she spent a lot of time like putting herself together in terms of her hair and you know her makeup and that sort of thing she was blue collar right initially no she was no there was actually there were jokes like when she married prince charles that like oh the spencer family is like more well off than the than oh really the royal family yes where where was her family from or do you know what her the, family wealth I, was? Yeah, I she she her father was an earl. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, okay. it was they were they, they have the credentials. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. I would never question the lineage. Yeah. Um, I think there's something I'm I'm sensing here. So throughout every job and career that you had, you kind of have this um almost obsessive uh like you have to find a way to understand. And so you you basically baptize yourself in that entire culture. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, so you buy a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, everyone acquires things like, you know, back and forth. But it's, it's like, so you go to Vanity Fair and now you got to read all these books. I mean, no one came by your desk and said, read these books, right? Mm-hmm. No. No one told you to watch those TV shows? No. Well, so what is it? I, it's like this chameleon-like characterism that you have. That where, where do you think that came from? Or did you even know that you were doing it? No, I know that I do that. I mean, I, I, I definitely do that. But I think also, like, I'm always, like, I, my personality, like, never changes. And I do have, like, some core interests that always stay the same. What would but be one of those? Music. My music? music taste is always the same. And I pretty much, direct, like, I would have worn this when I was, like, 20. I will see, because here's the thing. I think you and I are very similar in these issues. On one, one hand, I, whatever I do, I have to throw myself into to try to understand. Mm-hmm. But I would not say my style is the same. I, I've said on many times on the pod, I have no idea what my style is. All I know is I've bought a lot of crap <laughs> and I've gotten real deep. I've gone way down the rabbit hole, Matrix style BS. I've worn Rick Owens head to toe, Tom Brown head to toe. I've did all those other things. Right now, I still have no idea what my style is. But you were saying that you... I've always known what it was. Yeah. What is your style? Because it's like, I mean, as we walked through, I saw a, a like neon dress from Hackers. Yeah. Yeah. I just bought that today. Actually, <laughs> It's a dance costume. It has like some girl's name written in Sharpie on the inside of it. So where do you go to get all your stuff then? Um, I, so I do two things. Like I buy a lot of vintage and secondhand clothing. The majority of my clothing is vintage and secondhand. From? Um, from Housing Works, the one in Soho, and the one in West Village. Okay. 
Um, and, um, I also go to this place called vintage thrift. There's one in Gramercy and there's also one across from the West village housing works. And that is like the best thrift store. So no eBay, huh? Once in a while I'll go on eBay, but that's a, that, that can be too much of a hunt for me. You mm. know? It's true. eBay is a rabbit hole. Yeah. And if I'm going to be like hunting, I want to be in a place, you know, I don't want to be like sitting. I want to be like digging through stuff. Okay. Um, and then when I buy new clothing, I'll usually go to like, you know, um, Dover street and like Totokayo and Barney's and like Bergdorf's are like the places that I normally shop at when I'm looking for something, but I really don't like buy that much new clothing. The other place that I go is this, um, store in Philadelphia near where I grew up called Joan Shep that has been open for like 30 years. And it's like, um, it's very much, it's like a kind of a Totokayo, but it's like existed for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. And it caters to like arty, weird, waspy women who live on the main line, but are like, ah, oh, yes, this piece from Junia's 1989 collection is like one of my favorite grail items for these. Re- like, so it's, it has like this, this really <laughs> weird, like arty mom aesthetic, but it's fancy. Flex. Yeah. And that's actually where I learned a lot about clothing. Like that was like my first time interacting with like clothing of that. Oh. Like, like Dries Van Noten and like Rick Owens and that sort of thing. Was there from was this, this from would you say it was called? It's again? called Joan Shep. Joan Shep. Uh-huh. Okay. And um there was this woman named Tuesday who worked there. And then Joan, of course, is there and Joan has a daughter. Um, and Tuesday is like one of the most like she has this insane sense of style. She puts together clothing in this really bizarre way. And um, when I was like getting ready to graduate from college, I basically went there and got like a trousseau of clothing Um, that was like all of these crazy outfits that like Tuesday had assembled for me. And she's really good at like, like she taught me this like really important um, style sort of way of thinking about style for women, which is that like, just because it's like a sweater doesn't mean that you have to wear it as a sweater, you know? So she would be like, she would sort of, I would stand there and she would just like put things on me. And then like, you'd be like wearing something that seemed to be a hat, but in fact it was a sweater that she had like tied in a weird way. I mean, she's just like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I know people who will always have a sweater with them, but they never wear it. They just like tie it around their neck. Right. In some like weird way. Yeah. She, she taught me how to like, she was like, well, like at one point she tied a sweater around like, like right under my arms. Okay. Which is like Sakai and like Monse do that now, but this was in like 2010, baby. Like this was like (laughs) really predated that sort of thing. (laughs) Okay. Um, we're starting to wrap up a little bit. Okay. So of, Everything you saw in Paris, what, just to kind of jump back to there, what are the things that you think are kind of making their way in terms of trends? I know it's a kind of a trite question, but I just, because I think right now, and to add some context to this, I just feel like there, everything is cool. Mm-hmm. Be as long as you wear it and wear it with like confidence. And so I, I think people don't know where to start anymore. Yeah. I think that's true too. Are you t- are you asking me where to start? <laughs> well, no, I mean I'm just like, I guess like how how are people going to find their way in terms of clothing? Like, or are is everyone doomed to be me 
and they're just going to buy every single brand, spend way too much money on it, realize it was a dumb and bad idea. Like I have one friend, this is, so this will help shape this argument. He can look at a lot of different brands. He will buy one piece of that one collection and then he mixes that in with the rest of his clothes. Like a normal person. Yeah, that's really normal. And he looks great. How do you do that? What, what would be your advice for someone who's like trying to fix, their, fix up their wardrobe? Well, I really like to shop and I really like to look at like photos. And I don't look at like magazine photos. I mean like photos of like celebrities or like whether they be current celebrities or old celebrities. Like Princess Di? Yeah. Or like Mary-Kate Olsen. Like the way that Mary-Kate Olsen dresses now is like, you know, like almost like biblical in the sense that she does look like a, a monk or a shaman. But it's also like you can look at that and you're like, I could dress like that. She looks really good in sort of this like otherworldly way. Oh. But it's very accessible. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's like all the people that I want to look like yeah. are just so in their world. Because like I want to look like Ryan Gosling, but if I put clothes on, I don't look like Ryan Gosling. Does Ryan Gosling really wear clothes though? I know who his stylist is. Shout out Mark Avery. But I feel like like Ryan Gosling has like a Ryan Gosling look. He's not like like a Shia LaBeouf character who's like like Shia LaBeouf like wears clothing in the sense that like there's a whole like weird look. You're sort of like, I don't really know what this is. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Jonah Hill is like a bit the same way, but it's like a little bit more accessible. Ryan Gosling, I think of there just being kind of this halo around Ryan Gosling in which like he is like delivering on the like movie star promise of like this is what it looks like to be a movie star whoa okay hold on I, you're you're on to something can you explain that a little bit more so you're saying shia labeouf mm-hmm. whom every single dude in menswear is obsessed with whom i i think that they're more obsessed with the fact that he can just wear whatever he wants and looks cool but i think if if you replace shia's head with my head no one would say Jeremy Kirkland is like the greatest style of all time, right? Yeah. It's because it's Shia LaBeouf. Well, I think it's because he's in public. And usually like if a celebrity is in public, like they just want to look as like fit and like um, they want to kind of like blend into a certain like there is a kind of like homogeny. Like I just want to look it's not like I just want to look OK, but it's like I want to look appropriate. I don't want anyone like the next day to like put me on the daily mail on blast. Like what the heck was he wearing? Like, I just want everyone to be like, yeah, like sure. He's wearing a t-shirt that was just a t-shirt was probably $600. And like his skin looks amazing. Like that's what we think like celebrities should look like. But Shia clearly like he may look like to us, like a normal dude, like a normal, like cool dude that like you or I knows you or I knows you or I know, but he, he's like clearly choosing these things like, and is okay with like getting a little bit of extra attention or being thought of as a little bizarre. Yeah. I mean, there's quotes of him saying that he, he purposely picks all the stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like American, I hate this term, like sprezzatura or something like that. Right. Like it's like, he's, it's all done on purpose. And so are you saying that Ryan Gosling's, what's the contrast of Gosling then? I think he's picking things to adhere to a certain set of codes about like what a man looks like oh okay i agree i think you're on to something what about jonah hill then um is he is he in between because jonah hill wears a lot of brands 
Yeah. A lot, a lot of skater brands. I think like Jonah Hill is like trying to prove that he fits into like this group of guys who are like not celebrities. Like I think Jonah Hill is like trying to like, he's like, look, like I'm, you know, I get it. I'm one of you. Yeah. Well, it's tough to do if you pull up in a phantom and a $30,000 watch on your wrist though. Does he pull up in a phantom? I believe he has a phantom. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. But see, the thing is like <laughs> men who, most of the men who dress like that, like they would buy a phantom if they could afford it. I don't know if I'd buy a phantom, but I'm probably not one who would dress like that. I'm definitely not wearing palace head to toe now. Yeah. Shut the front door. No <laughs> way. Palace, buy low, sell high. Wait, you're wearing palace socks. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> These are old socks. They're old socks. Oh, no. You're right. You're right. They're palace socks. They are. Wow. But I'm wearing Levi's jeans. Yeah, okay. Please take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Intern, edit this. No, I'm kidding. It'll stay in. Okay, Because um, that was the best joke of the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Okay, you're right. Guilty. I'm wearing palace socks. I am Jack's palace socks. I feel like we almost got it. Um, Rachel, this has been a lot of fun. It really has. <laughs> You'll have to come on again because I think we've barely scratched the surface with you. We really have. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, is yeah. there anything you'd like to plug, mention? You want to talk about Garage Mag? Um, you know, like buy it and like read it online. Buy it and read it online? Yeah. How can people interact with you if they want to interact with you? I mean, I'll tag you in the liner notes. But. Oh, yeah. I guess they can like follow me on Twitter or like Instagram. Honestly, Instagram DM is like the best way to reach me. I'm inventing return of the Mac Instagram. Wait, what? So uh, most of my, I would say like every third Instagram story of mine is a, is a, has something to do with the song return of the Mac. Okay. By Mark Moreland. Okay. Um, and now people DM me and they're like, I'm, I'm at Nordstrom Rack. I'm in Minnesota and they're playing Return of the Mac. That's awesome. Yeah. And this is on your regular account? This is on my regular account. There's a lot of people who listen to this. You're probably going to get hit up. Mm-hmm. All right. Can't wait. <laughs> All See right, you guys for, in the DMs. Thanks for coming on. We'll see thanks ya. for having me. You've been listening to Blamo. Special thanks to my guest, Rachel Tashian, for coming on. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify now, too. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps let others know and discover the show. If you want to get in touch, just give me a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. See you next week. <laughs>